Welcome to the Lisa Wexler Show podcast. Think of it like a magazine or a box of chocolates. You never know what you'll get. From politics to pop culture, healthcare to legal issues, it's all here. And my behind-the-wheel chats are personal observations created especially for you on podcast only. Enjoy. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. This morning I saw that the Connecticut Mirror, which incidentally is a nonprofit journalism enterprise, that does a lot of deep dives into many, many different areas of news and social policy and politics, did an investigation on the updated red flag law used largely for suicide threats. And among the statistics were that in the first five months of 2022, courts issued 96 of these risk protection warrants through the older process that took time to implement. But between June 1st, when the new law went into effect, and November 3rd, there were 418 risk protection warrants approved by Superior Court judges because it's a different process. Joining us now is Representative Steve Staffstrom, who chairs the Judiciary Committee, who passed this law, who understands it with a depth that I don't, and I asked him on short notice to come on today. Hello, Representative Staffstrom. Welcome to the Lisa Wexler Show. Welcome back. Hello. Hey, Lisa. Good to talk to you. Okay, great to talk to you. So may I call you Steve only because I keep tripping over your last name? Do you mind? Absolutely. Thank you. All right, so Steve, can you please tell me um, what was this law designed to, to tweak, to do, that you thought it was an improvement over the prior law? Sure. So Connecticut was actually the first state in the nation to pass a so-called red flag or risk protection warrant statute back in the uh, late 90s following the shooting at the Connecticut Lottery Corporation. And what the law was designed to do is provide a civil process outside of kind of the criminal structure, outside of the structure of somebody has committed a crime, but a civil process for a judge to have a firearm removed from someone who uh, poses an imminent risk of harm to themselves or others. And under the old law, a police department could apply and have firearms removed. But the law, uh, as we started to look at what other states have done, particularly over the last few years, we noticed some kind of holes or gaps in Connecticut's law. First and foremost, our previous law did not allow a uh, judge to order someone not to go out and acquire a firearm if they didn't already have one, which 
just doesn't make a whole lot of sense, right? If you if somebody poses an imminent risk of harm to themselves or others and you want to take their guns away from them, they shouldn't be able to walk into a gun store and buy a new firearm the same day that you've right. taken their guns away from them. Right. Um, but under our previous law, that was that was a loophole. The okay. other thing we uh, this law changed is previously only a police officer could be the applicant which again uh, is great, but oftentimes the police officer is not the one who has firsthand knowledge of why someone is an imminent risk of harm to themselves or others. You know, the police officer often is not the one who hears the death threat or hears the suicide um, ideations. And so what the new law says is that a family member, a uh, household member, or a medical professional can actually be the one to sign the affidavit to start the process Mm, that's rolling. the key. That's the and, key. Okay. And once the process gets started, then yes, the police have to get involved and have to investigate, and ultimately are the ones to remove the judge, remove the firearm upon an order of a judge. But it allows for an expanded eligibility. And then the final major change the law made this year was under previous law, once someone's firearms were removed, they got them back after a year, kind of no questions asked. Um, so even if the person still posed a risk of harm to themselves or others after a year, they would get the firearms back and then presumably the police department could apply and have the firearms re-removed after they got them back. Uh, what this new law says is the firearms are removed sort of indefinitely until the individual, uh, until the judge orders the firearms returned. And that could actually be less than a year if somebody can show that, you know, after a month, two months, three months, they are no longer a risk to themselves or others, or it could be longer than a year uh, as the situation warrants. But basically, we give the judge the discretion to determine the length of time. So that last one, I wonder if that's going to pass constitutional muster in changing the default setting, if you know what I mean. I wonder about that. Well, I think it will because uh, ultimately the if somebody applies to get their firearms back, the burden is still on the state to prove why they should not get them back. Yeah, but having to apply – well, we'll see how that plays out. I mean some people will argue that having to apply could pose an unreasonable burden on the constitutional right to bear arms. But we'll see. I mean there's already been obviously a judge deciding that there's – a reason in this particular instance why someone shouldn't have a gun, so I would think it would survive, but you never know. We'll see. Yeah, and like I said, I think the, I think the thing is the burden of proof. The burden of okay. proof does, still remains on the state. Mm. We're chatting with Representative Steve Safstrom, so let's go back a little bit, because the first part that you talked about is really, I think, an explanation of why so many more people are using this. So it's expanded from having to be originally police to now you said it could be a family member, a medical person. So that starts something. And what I'm reading in this Connecticut Mirror article is that two police uh, have to sign an affidavit that then sends it elsewhere. And some police officers are saying that's a little burdensome on them as a matter of, you know, actually doing their job. I think they'd rather have just one. What, what do you think about that? I was actually kind of surprised to read that in the article last night because the two police requirement has always been the law. Um, that's been the law since the since the late 90s. I think what is happening is because of the update to the law we passed 
as well as, if you recall, the bipartisan firearm law that came through Congress actually appropriated additional funding for uh, to encourage all states to adopt some sort of red flag law. There is a heightened public awareness of the availability of these types of laws uh, and a heightened awareness within police departments. So I think, yes, we did expand the eligibility. Yes, we did allow police to apply to uh, have a firearm uh, or to prevent someone from getting a firearm. But I think what a large part of what's driving the uptick is heightened public awareness of this ability to use this process, even within the police departments. So that two police requirement has always been the law. Um, I, you know, I'd be happy to talk to somebody about whether we could change that. But frankly, when we discussed um, going to only one police officer, uh, having to sign the application last during the update to the law last legislative session, there was some pushback in doing that from certain police departments, in fact, and from some of the police unions, basically saying that puts too much onus or too much burden on one police officer. It's better to have sort of two do the investigation in that way. They're both in concurrence as opposed to just having um, one person sign the affidavit. We're chatting with Bridgeport Representative Steve Staffstrom, and we're talking about this idea where Neil Drive, Cheshire Police Chief, says, I would say probably in excess of 90% of the orders are suicide threats where a person is saying they are going to harm themselves. And let's just talk about the fact that the majority of suicides, or at least a good portion of them, definitely happen with a firearm. The suicides that happen with a firearm, uh, people who study these things say, are largely preventable in that very often it is an impulse, and if the means to do that impulse isn't there, the impulse will pass, and the suicide, at least at that particular moment, that suicide impulse will pass as well. So, so talk to us, um, Steve, a little bit about what were you really aiming to do with this red flag law when you expanded it? What, what do you want to have happen in our Connecticut society? So there was actually a study about 10 years ago that came out of Duke University on the previous version of Connecticut's red flag law. And the sort of the import of the study was trying to get other states to follow in Connecticut's lead and adopt uh, this type of legislation before we updated it. And one of the key findings was that for every 8 to 10 uh, risk protection warrants issued and firearms being seized from someone who a judge believes is, is an imminent risk to themselves or others, one life is saved. So eight to 10 warrants results in a saving of one life. So if we have gone from 96 uh, warrants issued over, over a, a period of six months to now 418, so an uptick of over 300, that's 30 additional lives we've saved, or 35 additional lives we've saved. Wow. Wow. That's, the, that's what we hope to achieve through this legislation. Yeah, yeah. And the intervention of it altogether, the bringing of attention to the person's mental state, presumably, hopefully, uh, that kind of attention will result in services and help for the person who is considering suicide. I mean, that's the other hope, that by bringing all these people onto the case, that the person has some kind of a recognition that other people care about him or her. 
Absolutely. And again, the idea is to do this outside of the criminal process. Yes, police officers are involved because there is a firearm. Yes, the court system is involved because there needs to be a level of due process, certainly. But these are not individuals being charged with a crime. They're not, they don't have, you know, future court dates where they're, you know, potentially facing um, civil fines or, or jail time or any, anything of the like. This really is a process to say there's something going on in someone's life. They probably shouldn't have access to a firearm at this particular point in time. Let's physically bar that or take those firearms away for a short period of time until we can get the individual the help they need, uh, and then they can retrieve the firearms after uh, whatever that that mental state period has passed. So what happens now? So if someone is listening to this show right now and they're thinking, oh, I'm really glad I'm listening because I know somebody who is, um, you know, at reasonable, I think this person uh, may try and harm himself. And um, I think he would either maybe have access to a gun or consider using a gun or may already have a gun or consider buying a gun. What can this person do now, like right now, that he couldn't have two, done before? Two, thing, two things they can do. First, they can still call their local police department and explain the situation to the local police department and ask for an officer to come out. The second thing they can do, which they couldn't previously do, but they can now, is just Google Application for Risk Protection Order, Connecticut, and a form will pop up on the Judicial Branch website. And it's, it's a checkbox form. You fill it out. Uh, you sign the affidavit uh, explaining what you believe is going on. You take it down to your local courthouse, and a judge will review it. And if a judge ah, agrees that... Okay. And if a judge agrees that the person is a risk to themselves or others based on the information on that application, then the judge will actually turn it over to the local police department and order the local police department to go out and do an investigation. And then if the police officer determines, yes, in fact, we do believe this person is a risk to themselves or others, then um, uh, the process is already underway. The firearms can be seized based on the judge's order. So you can go, and so it could be on Hoyt Street if it's in Stamford, or right there on Main if you're in Bridgeport, and you can literally walk in the form yourself. Correct. And so you can either print the form out and bring it in with you, or if you walk into the clerk's office and say, you know, I would like the form to fill out and I'd like to present it to a judge, then you you can do that. Um, you know, the limitation to this, obviously, is that's during business hours when the courthouse is open. Sure. If the courthouse is not open, then um, the other avenue of, of going through your local police department remains available. And, Did of course, you, the local police department. Yep. Were you surprised, Steve, that the article said that Bridgeport, as well as a number of other towns and cities, but I was noticing Bridgeport has not had any of these? Yeah, I I was dismayed by that. Um, I think certainly certain police departments are using this tool uh, more efficiently than others. Um, You know, I'm I'm encouraged there's a change in leadership of the Bridgeport Police Department, and I'm hopeful that um, under the new chief we will start to see uh, more of these tools utilized in, in these type of manners. Representative Steve Safstrom, thank you very much for coming on today. We really appreciate it. Good luck with the judiciary. You're still, I think I read, you're still going to be the head of the Judiciary Committee in the next session. Is that right? Yeah, you're stuck with me for another two years, I guess. Yeah, that's a pretty important thing. So you'll have to come on periodically to tell us about the new laws you're passing. Sort of a big Happy question. to. All right. Thank you so much. Representative Steve Safstrom on the Lisa Wexer Show from Bridgeport. We'll be right back. 
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Thank you for listening. If you liked what you heard, please share it with your friends. And as always, feel free to contact me at lisa at lisawexler.com. 